Welcome to the Getting Real with Hillary show, where ordinary heroes tell extraordinary stories during unique and never been heard before conversations with your host, Hillary Arno Burns. Hillary's unique listening and way of asking questions results in conversations that aren't usually talked about. So you can create the life that you really want, but are afraid you can't really have. We are demonstrating the greatness in the human spirit and creating a world where we all reclaim our birthright of joy, happiness, purpose, and passion. Now, here's your host, Hilary Arno Burns. Welcome to the Getting Real with Hillary show. And before I introduce my guest, who I am so excited to have here, I just want to do a little um, plug for my own books. I just, uh, let's see, this was my first book, Second Piece of French Toast, which is a memoir. If you want some very exciting and uh, courageous real stories, you can get that on Amazon. My other book, Real Talk, which is how to say the things you've never said so you can have the things you've always wanted. Real Talk. You can go to realtalkwithhillary.com, order the book, take the Real Talk quiz, and let's talk. Give me a, give me, you can just sign up for a chat. And then my next book, some of you might be uh, offended by the title. My mother certainly is. It's called Your Bullshit is Your Blessing. That will be coming out very soon. And the subtitle is How to Stop Fixing Yourself and Start Having Fun. All of them are available on Amazon. But enough about me. I am here today with someone who, she well, she's written a couple books that I have been reading. I feel like I've been in her life the last couple weeks. One of them is called Army Wife. This is uh, Vicki Cody I'm talking about. And the second one is Why Safe. And the reason why... These books meant so much to me, and I can't wait to promote them and for you to hear about Vicki's life is because she spent 33 years as an Army wife, but I spent eight months as a, a consultant to the Army in Heidelberg, Germany, where I experienced Army life. I didn't have to go through any of the bad stuff. I had none of the stress. I didn't have to do boot camp, but I lived the life. We cooked chicken at the at the fairs. I went to the military ball in my German dirndl, and I just, I loved the life. I loved, you know, seeing the community that they had. I loved the belonging, and I loved, you know, their sense of purpose. And so reading Vicky's book just brought it all back. I mean, I I couldn't put it down. I, um, anyway, I, I, I recommend it highly. If you are in the military, you want to read this. And if you're not in the military, you want to read this just to appreciate what our soldiers and um, enlisted people, whatever officers, I'm probably saying it all wrong, do. And we, we'll talk more about that now. But welcome, Vicki. And I'm so um, appreciative of you taking the time and honor uh, that you're that you're here on the show. So welcome. Well, thanks, Hillary. It's great to be on your show. And I, I appreciate that introduction and I appreciate the fact that uh, you're even interested in hearing about military life and the fact that you did experience it uh, for a short time. Um, that That's great to hear. Yeah, I just, um, I always thought, you know, when, when the people, you know, we were in Germany, but, 
you know, some of the people knew each other from their last stop. And then, oh, there's, you know, there was General Woods and, you know, we had retired generals. And I just thought, wow, isn't that cool that they've known each other for so many years? Um, and, I, and I compared it for some reason in my mind to what IBM was back then. IBM, you know, I knew people who knew people from all over, but they didn't have the risk, obviously, that that you guys had. So, you know, and we'll talk about that. But, you know, just just welcome, welcome. Thank you for, you know, telling your story. Thank you for, uh-uh, I always cry. So I'm not <laughs> even going to apologize anymore for it. I just, nope. my nose are run and la, la, la. But you know, for being who you are, for being who you were to your husband, for him, who he was for you. I mean, that's like a love story in and of itself. You know, that's something we all want. And um, so so let me start with a question from there. So okay. did you ever, I know you had to go through what you went through. You went months without seeing him or, you know, and, and hearing from him whenever you could. But you guys had that, in my mind, I'm a romantic, um, you guys had that love that everybody wants. Did you ever doubt it? Like, did you have moments where you wondered, like, is this really real? And, and it, you know, so go ahead. I'll, I'll no, I only no, know what I know. Hillary, I, <laughs> I fell head over heels in love with Dick Cody. The first time I met him, I was 16 years old. He was 19. He was already a cadet at West Point. Um, I think those in those early years, because we ended up dating for six years until I had finished high school, college. She was already in the army. We finally get married. But, you know, the early years, um, I think my parents and, and a lot of those around us, they just figured it was, you know, this high school crush because, um, you know, I was just gaga over this guy. Um, but at the same time, you know, we were so young and he was already at West Point and then going into the army. We dated other people, you know, lived a full life, which I think is so important. Um, if I had just, if we had married any sooner than we did, I don't know how it would have worked out. I would like to think we'd still be where we are today. Um, but for Dick, it gave him some years to mature. By the time we got married, he had had four years in the army at that point. Um, and I, you know, it, it went from high school crush, I think, to as he was gone all the time and we only got to see each other certain times. For us, it just developed into this really strong love and, and bond. And so by the time we got married and then we continued that whole cycle of him coming and going and and the stresses of army life, we had already kind of done that while we were dating. So even though it was kind of a shock to me, um, I, I just kind of rolled with the punches because I saw early on that it was going to be that way of life, but at the same time, very unique and special. And I guess I'm excuse me, good at adapting because I seem to to roll with the punches, but, but no, I never, I never doubted our love for each other. And I think that's what made all of the challenges and the hurdles and the separations. Um, for us, that's what got us through it. Um, you know, the fact that, that we did have this faith and trust in each other, a loyalty, it never wavered. It never waned. Um, to this day, you know, 47 years into this marriage, uh, we're still going strong. 
Uh, I don't know if we were lucky or just, you know, determined to always make it work. Um, and I, I, I mentioned that in, in all of my writings, I always say I was determined to never let the army come between us. It tried. I mean, the army was constantly pulling us in different directions, but I was determined this was the guy I married, the love of my life, and we're going to raise a family and somehow make it work. And we did. And it, and it seems like, um, you know, like my daughter was upset. She was crying and some guy says to her, you're going to cry over this. You know, it seemed like Dick or the two of you. And obviously I only know from reading the books. I feel like I was there with you, but um, <laughs> that, you know, that you guys understood what each other was going through and you didn't make it wrong if someone had feelings or emotions or was going through a hard time. I mean, I, I remember as if I was there that that one time when you said, I can't take this anymore. Yeah. And he let you cry. And then he said, right. We're going to get rid of the other. So, so, yeah. yeah. There were times when, um, and, and certainly in the beginning, I was not always a happy camper. <laughs> you know, as I was learning to navigate army life, and then he'd say, oh, we're moving, got orders, or I'm going, he, you know, he was leaving again. I, I can't say I had a smile on my face all the time. Um, but... What I learned to do early on was embrace what I could that was good about Army life. And there was certainly a lot that was good. Um, I think my pride in my husband and what he had chosen to do um, outweighed some of the, the stress and the risk and all of that. And I don't know, each time we moved, you know, it was like a new adventure and and we got closer and and then we had kids and it was the same thing with our our two sons you know we we would move and get to that next place and and it was you know the four of us against the world there's something really um bonding about that and the other piece too that that i think you already touched on is that sense of community what you experienced when you were in heidelberg with with an army unit um we always had that support, those other army families around us that were living the same way as us. So as time went on, I didn't think it was any different. It was only when we went home to, we're both from Vermont, we'd go back home to Vermont and I'd kind of like look around and it's like our, our siblings and all our, you know, friends from high school, whatever, they were all leading these nice, safe, stable lives were very predictable lives. Um, and sometimes part of me would think, wow, I wonder, that that would be pretty nice to live that way. But then as, as soon as I had those thoughts, the other part of me said, oh, but the adventure of what we do and the excitement, I wouldn't trade it. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a learning process for me. I learned every step of the way alongside Dick. Um, there were times when I complained to him, um, but I always tried to be as supportive as I could because I knew I knew the the responsibility he had on him. I knew, especially once he started flying helicopters, I never wanted to be that person back home, you know, whining and crying, and and he's trying to do his job. It's like once we got into it, I was all in with him, you know. Wow. That's amazing. 
And did did you ever think, or like, did you did you ever think, oh, he's going to be a four star general, and we're going to be the president, and Winona, Winona, is it Winona? Winona Judd. Oh yeah, we were just yeah, it's, it's like one of my best friends. Like, yeah. did you ever think that, or did you no. just like go, okay, what's next no. today? What's next today? Yeah. You know. And I think that's it's like that for for all you know, for everybody, you know, you start out and it's like, he's a lieutenant. And and I wasn't thinking beyond that. All I knew was he loved what he was doing. And, and each new place, once we settled in, it was fun. It was exciting. We were always meeting, you know, new people and making friends that have lasted a lifetime. And, and then I would say, obviously the biggest promotion was when he found out that he was going to be a one-star general. And to us, you know, you go from colonel to one-star. And that was like, wow, Dick, you know, can you believe this? It's like, holy, you know. And and so both of us, I would like to think really that we did look at each job like that was the best and make the most of it. And Dick always said, you know, work each job as if it's your last. Don't look ahead to that next promotion or whatever. You don't know if it's coming or not. Uh, right. Yeah, but then all it seemed like all of a sudden one day, you know, he was going up a one-star, two-star. Then he's all of a sudden he's a four-star general, vice chief of staff of the Army. And there were times when we would pinch ourselves and say, <laughs> wow, how did it, you know, two kids from Vermont, <laughs> you know, that met right. in love and and started this journey together, never dreaming where it would lead us. Or also that I would end up being a writer and writing about this way of life. Yeah. And and it seems like, um, I don't know if it was natural to him to be such a leader um, and to you that you became, you know, you know, like when, when you, so when you started, you had the, the, officers wives take you under your way right because you know i mean and and i can't i mean and i get when you were living on base they were all around but when there were some times at the beginning it seemed when you were just in a regular house and they weren't all around right you know so so i don't know i I just there's so much in my mind i want to ask you but um i think hillary i think from an early age I I was one of those people all through school. I would always run for office. Uh, when I was in a sorority, I always wanted to be in a position of, I like speaking. I always had something to say. So, you know, it didn't bother me then as because I know I've known some wives of officers and they were uncomfortable when their husband was in a command position and maybe they had to get up and speak in front of groups. And and that's uncomfortable if, if you're an introvert. You know, I think luckily I was suited for this just like Dick was. And again, I, I grew every step of the way like he did, but I enjoyed it. It wasn't a it wasn't a chore. Um, and he at Dick, I think, was a born leader. He just was from the time he was. Um, a lieutenant. Uh, everybody would always say that he just had a real gift with leading men. Um, later on, men and women. Um, he's he. They always said he was a soldier's general because he knew yeah. how to relate to just about anyone in his command, 
And I think that I was the same way. And, and I think that's why we enjoyed it so much because we were like a team. And, and I think people relate to that. Um, you know, in the later years when it was our sons that were deploying and my husband was, you know, the number two guy in the army and he and I traveled around and met with, with families and spouses and of deployed soldiers. And they looked at us not just as a general and his wife, but a husband and wife and parents of two soldiers that were deployed. And and I guess the fact that we kind of presented a united front, we told them we get through this together. This is how we will we'll get through the deployments with our sons. Um, so it, it was a team effort. And I know that not everybody has that. And I feel very fortunate that Dick and I just happened to work that way. We work very well together. Um, but I, I think that, that I was, I was meant to be doing this yeah. and he was too. And, and so we were in the right place at the right time. And now I feel like my, my platform is writing about all of this and, and getting it out there, you know, shining the spotlight on the spouses and families who stand beside their soldiers. And I feel like that's my mission and purpose in life now. Yeah. Well, and yeah, well, I mean, so you wrote the handbook um, yes. at a certain point. And was that the first type of handbook that, I mean, what did people do before it? They were just yeah. on their own to wonder, or, or I guess there hadn't been wars for a while. So, right. But, yeah, there, uh, there was nothing out there. And actually that came about and that, book it's a 64 page booklet that is still available free of charge to anyone who needs it it's called your soldier your army a family guide that came about when our sons were on their second deployments to iraq and um our sons let's see the oldest one deployed six times to iraq and afghanistan our younger son three times and twice they were together in the same unit flying helicopters. So it was a real stressful time. And it was around 2004, 2005. Anyway, I was answering phones at a, um, they set up a phone center in DC for, and a hotline for families to call in because the war was like raging. I mean, and, and the units and were deploying and, and things were, you know, it was obvious that it was going to be a long-term war. Anyway, they set up these phone banks. I was answering phones, and they had given us, um, each of the volunteers, this big, huge notebook that weighed probably 20 pounds, really thick, and it was full of anything and everything that you ever needed to know about the military, but it was done in a, a manual format, like soldiers. And so we're, I'm answering all these questions every week when I went to answer the phones, and it was always the same, just very basic information that these parents and families wanted to know about. It wasn't rocket science they wanted. They just wanted to know how to get in touch with their deployed soldier, um, a contact for the unit, and basic information to guide them through Army life. So I said to Dick, you know what? I think I need to write down all this stuff that I'm giving out to these these family members but put it in a nice little booklet that they can carry with them they can it's like a how-to guide and not just yeah. on appointments but how to get navigate army life 
So I wrote it, and the Association of the United States Army published it, and they handed out for free, and it became this huge success. I mean, people responded to it because they were craving any information they could get. Um, and that's uh, what planted that little seed in my mind that, oh, wow, I want to write books. I like doing it. It was a form of therapy for me while the kids were deploying. Yeah. How did they distribute that book, that first one? Did, oh, like, did they just print well, masses and hand yes. out somewhere? So they, like, they how printed, did people... Yeah. There was uh, the big, it's it's called AUSA, Association of the United States Army. And the book came out right when they were having their annual meeting in Washington, D.C. that they have every September, October. They printed 10,000 copies and they were gone the first couple of days of the convention. That's how people responded to it. So then they got the funding to keep printing it because I had asked them to do it. I said, I don't want to charge anybody, so can you get the funding. Well, they never dreamed they were going to print over 500,000 copies and translate it into Spanish. Um, so all, it was just word of mouth back then. They, they went on the website and they said, if you want to order it for free or download it, and the units started ordering it. Some of the, like the 101st Airborne Division, they would order 5,000 copies, hand them out at an event. So it, it immediately just went out. Wow. Yeah, it was. That's that's amazing. It, it was. I wish my other books were that successful. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> let's get them out there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I did mine. This one I did for 99 cents. Uh -huh. They could get it an ebook. And so I didn't mind telling people when I was I was trying to go for like being a best, you know, an Amazon bestseller. And yeah. So I didn't mind telling them because it was 99 cents. The other one is going to be more. And I, you know, same thing. I don't know. I don't know how many people will read it, but, um, I anyway, know. but, but yours is, you know, yours, yours is important. I think get out there. So we'll, uh, let's get the word out more, but anyway, yeah. so, okay. So that was your first book. Yes. And then, and then wait, let's see what time is. Okay. We have a few more minutes. Um, and then how did you start writing the second one? Well, when I was writing that book clip for the families and for parents of soldiers, I had so much to say. It was like I could barely contain myself once I started writing about it all. And so as soon as I finished that, I knew, I, you know, I said to my husband, I think I'm going to try writing a memoir to capture the whole, um, you know, my whole life as an army wife. Well, then I spent probably five, six years because I was busy. Then he retired or whatever. I spent a lot of years working on that, but I didn't really know what I was doing. Then it was too long. I had to, I got an editor. Then I finally found a publisher, but that whole process ended up taking like six years. So Army Wife came out in 2016. And then about a year or two after that, uh, <laughs> that was when I decided to write the second book and just focus on Desert Storm, the first Gulf War. Mm because I felt like that was um, a really important time in my life. And we can get into that, you know, after if, if you want. But um, that was a, a very important year in my life, also in my husband's. But uh, for me, as, as a wife, a mother, and as a woman, um, I think I learned more about myself that year than, than I did all the other years. Um, but I don't know if you have time to talk about that now or if it's commercial time or. Um, All right. Just say just say like in what 
we got a minute. Like in because of the stress, because of oh, because, the uh, fear. Yeah, um, because my husband left quickly. He was the first unit to leave back in that August of 1990, and he was a commander. He was a battalion commander, so it was the first time in a, in his career that I was a commander's wife, and they were deploying, and there was probably going to be combat involved. You know, at the time we didn't know what it was, but he just left and said, Vicki, I could be gone for a year. So I and our two sons were in middle school. So it was the first time that I was the mother of of two teenagers and and had to be there for them. But at the same time, I had, you know, a couple hundred family members looking to me. And at the same time, my husband was going to go off and do this dangerous, dangerous mission that I didn't know about until after the fact. (laughs) So it was a, a time, a real time of of really having to dig deep and, you know, put on the big girl panties and say, Vicki, you're going to do this because your husband's doing his thing. Then you got to be there to do what you need to do. Wow. <laughs> there you have it in a nutshell. Wow. 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 All right. All right. Let's do the commercial and then we'll talk more about, you know, your kids and all that stuff about okay. army life. Yeah. Thank you. Has social emotional learning become just one more thing on your teacher's plates? Do teachers and students both find it boring and ineffective? Then bring Hikori to your school. Kikori transforms classrooms through experiential SEL activities that help students play, reflect, connect, and grow. Even better, students say it's more fun than recess. Schedule a no-obligation conversation at kikoriapp.com slash bringkikori, K-I-K-O-R-I. Thank you to our sponsor, Kikori App. Um, if you want to bring social emotional learning into your schools, please do. They're awesome. It's my daughter's company. That was her voice. I'm always so proud. And they can really make a huge difference uh, with your kids. And team building, if you want to bring it into your company. They're awesome. KikoriApp.com. And don't forget my new book, Real Talk with Hillary. As I said, how to say the things you've never said so you can have the things you've always wanted. If you find that you're not saying things and you're not speaking up, go take my Real Talk quiz. Uh, You can find it on realtalkwithhillary.com. That's Hillary with one L. And let's chat. Let's, Let's get you free. I'm all about getting real, real talk, and getting free. And now, back to our wonderful guest, Vicki Cody. And we're talking about, she's at, let's see, her book, Army White is her first book and her second book. Whoops, that's my book. Her second book, Fly Safe, unbelievable. If you are in the military and you want to know about real life in the military and how to get through it, read them. And if you're not in the military and you want to appreciate our uh, soldiers and what they do and what they 
foot on the line every day. Please read Vicki's books. We need more appreciation and love and support for our troops. So welcome back, Vicki. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So, so let's see. Some of the things, um, you know, we were talking about belonging, uh, how you, how the the other women, um, you know, when you were like the young one, they had you belong, and then you in turn, when you were the commander's wife, you, I'm assuming you did that same for the younger. Was it just the officer's wives or for all of the wives? All of the wives. Now, over time, it has evolved. Um, when I first was a brand new army wife, there was more of a um, separation between the enlisted spouses and the officers' spouses. It was it was still, you know, kind of that whole white glove treatment with the officers' wives. And, and you know, I've, I've read some books over the years, you know, fiction um, that kind of portrayed it that way. And, and it was like that. Um, but over time, and I want to say that probably during Desert Storm, uh, like 1990, 1991, that was when we started to evolve um, as spouse groups and include all of the spouses because when when the units deployed for the Gulf War for Desert Storm, like at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, the entire 101st Airborne Division left. So we were a post of women and kids, you know, there, and there were some male spouses, but again, that was still the early days of, of females serving and going to combat. Um, so we started to to change then because we realized that the little coffee groups of yesterday weren't really functional for a deployment. You know, when we would meet back when I was the lieutenant's wife, it was for social purposes. You know, you'd go and you'd meet, you know, other officers' wives, and it was all real nice social, you know, just meeting people. But we realized by the early 90s that those groups needed to be more support groups. So we started calling them family support groups back then. And then by the time our sons came in, like around 2000 and, and you know, the more recent wars, then it changed over to family readiness groups. Um, now there's, pro I'm trying to think what they call them now. Anyway, that was when we started, you know, incorporating and including everybody. Because a spouse is a spouse. It doesn't matter what um, your husband's, your soldier's job is, whether he's a pilot or a crew chief or a mechanic or a truck driver, they're all gone. They're all deployed as one. So we started to really change. And, and now the spouse groups have evolved. Well, and, and actually, you know, they no longer have officers clubs on bases and posts. It's now all ranks clubs. Sailing. Wow. There, there will always be the chain of command and the rank structure. That's not going to change. And there is a difference, you know, the enlisted that are underneath a, um, an officer. But as far as the families and the spouses go, we've come a really long way at including everybody. That's amazing. I had no idea. So instead of officers clubs, and it's just all ranks clubs. Yeah, you do, yeah, you no longer say that. It's it's kind of like you know, um, you know, we've just evolved just the way society has with with other things. Uh, you know, it, 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 it was a form of, of probably a little bit of like segregation where 
you know, the enlisted had their own club, the officers had their club, and and now it's just kind of merged. Um, but but like I said, it's still you will always have rank and hierarchy within the military. You have to. Yeah. You know, yeah. Wow. 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 So, and one of the things that I was um, particularly impressed with, um, well, your, just your husband's ability to lead, and like when it, when he would say, "Don't worry, I'm gonna, it'll be okay, and we're gonna fly safe." I'm like, <laughs> right, right, okay, he's saying that, but you know, or how he trained them, and I know there were accidents and stuff like that, and um, one of the things. Uh, Oh, I was just reading it in the Fly Safe book. Um, it was something about maybe they could wear sneakers, I don't know, on some day. Oh, but right. He had no no boot day on Sunday where they... Yeah, but if you... Yeah, if you let something like that go, right. that could end up being... Right, yeah. Accidents and death, like, sudden something so little like that was so important to keep the, I guess, the... Right. Discipline or paying attention. Yes. Even my lives aren't at stake. Yeah. Right. He was, he was, he was a very strict commander, but, um, I believe, and most people believe he was into like tough love. Yeah. His mission, his purpose. And when he left for that deployment, he said to everybody in the chapel that night, I will bring everyone home safe. And I remember thinking, Dick Cody, I don't know how you're going to do that if you're going into combat. But he was so determined that he was not going to lose a soldier because of lack of discipline or, you know, obviously when you're in combat, you can't always control or predict. But he felt like the rest of the time he was going to control how disciplined his his men were. And so there were probably some that got a little bit sick of him over the course of the nine months because he was very strict. And but he saw what was happening in other units that were a little bit, you know, lax, loosey goosey, you know, not always in their combat gear. He felt like except for Sundays, they needed to be in their full combat gear and ready for anything. And he brought everybody home safe that time. So, you know, it worked. Um and he, wow. I think he was just a born leader. But, you know, all these things, they they learn it every step of the way. You know, you start out as a lieutenant or if, if you're a young enlisted and then you become an NCO, a non-commissioned officer. Or as you go up in rank, every step of the way, you're given a little bit more responsibility. And, and obviously not everybody's a good leader. You know, some people are just, they really take to it. Other people are just okay leaders and some are crappy. They're not even good. You know what I mean? And hopefully they get weeded out because um, leadership is so important um, for the military. That's what keeps people safe, um, you know, so, following orders. And it, and it just is what it is. And it's like, you know, if if people can't deal with that, then don't volunteer or sign up for the military because that is, it's a way of life. Um, so, you know, my husband was good at it. Yeah. And, and the people who aren't good at it, do they just not get promoted? Yeah. I mean, is that how it works? Yeah. It, it eventually, you know, you can only fool people for so long 
and eventually it comes to light and they do they just get overlooked for promotion um but yeah it, it's just like in in real life or you know out yeah. in the civilian world it's the same thing you know you're in a company you've got some guys that are that are great some guys are you know and then you get the suck ups you know people that are just right. doing stuff just to get that next promotion and again you know, soldiers see through that. Um, but yeah, that's good to know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause you don't want the wrong people in charge, especially right. in dangerous situations. Right. Right. You know, sometimes it happens. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right. So you were talking about, um, you know, I want to give people the appreciation for what you went through, obviously you went through it with Dick and then you went through it with your boys and what that's like so that people can appreciate what our soldiers and families and spouses are are going through. And I know you were, you were talking about that, the Apache, I don't know if you want to talk about that or something else about your boys. I know, I know as if I was there because I read your book, you know, I feel like I lived it. I really do. Uh -huh. That's that's how good your writing is, is that I really felt like I was experiencing. I was I was stressed when you were stressed. I was, you know, I, I, I felt all the emotions, which is kind of crazy. But um, so when your boy and then when your boys went in and, and I guess one of the things I appreciated was that Dick finally saw what you had gone through yeah. all those years. And it was a validation for you, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it it's funny how um, you know when when Dick was the one deploying and going off to war, um, he was always so appreciative of my support. And in every letter, he always said he was proud of me and thank you for sticking by me. You know that kind of thing. So I I felt very appreciated at all times. Yeah. I really did. I you know, but um, I he never realized what it was like to be the one staying behind. And then after September 11th and when our first son deployed the first time to Afghanistan and, and my husband wasn't going with him, my husband was a two-star general at the time and Clint was in the, the division, the 101st, with my husband. And and I write about that very, it was so vivid, you know, when Dick came home from work and said, I'm sending Clint's unit to Afghanistan, they're going into combat. And and I said, well, you're going with him, aren't you? And he said, no, they haven't called for the headquarters, just Clint's unit. And I remember being so angry. I said, but you have to go with him, you know? And I wanted to quit. <laughs> that was the day I wanted to quit being, because all of a sudden I was a married mom. I wasn't just an artist, right. I was an right. mom. Um, but that was Dick's first clue being back here behind the scenes with me and our son goes then it's like both boys went to iraq that first time and then you know that war broke out and that was when my husband would just turn to me sometimes and say vicky i'm so sorry what i put you through i didn't know what it's like to be the one back here watching the news waiting for the phone call that they're okay not knowing and and the thing is he was he was a four-star general by then and he was at the Pentagon. He could track what was going on. He said, one time he told me, he said, Vicki, I'll be sitting in my office and I am so afraid that somebody's going to walk in and say, 
something happened to Clint or Tyler. They crashed. They got shot down. He said, I live in fear of the phone or somebody coming in my door. And I just never thought that Dick Cody, you know, had the same fears I did. That really it kind of, you know, bonded us together. That's how we navigated this this second part of of the Army life with the boys doing it. Um, and it's really hard to be the parents of soldiers. Yeah, and then when you see, uh, kind of a mess today, um, when you would see, you know, it wasn't your kid or your spouse, but someone else's spouse, and, you know, you know, you feel lucky. I can imagine you felt so lucky, but then what about them? Did you feel yeah. guilty at all? Did, you know, like, how do you reconcile that? It, it's all those feelings. It's like for a brief moment, it's like, okay, my kid's okay, or my husband's okay. But then immediately the thoughts come in about what some mother or wife is going through right now as they're being notified. And there's that that guilt. And then, you know, sometimes it's it's lately when something happens, like the recent um, crash that happened at Fort Campbell, and that was our son's unit, the two Blackhawks that crashed and and nine soldiers were killed. Um, when our son called us and told us, and he was devastated because he's their commander, and this has happened, and he's lost these these soldiers. Um, but I I I immediately started to think: at what point is our luck going to run out? Because for all these years, for over thirty years, my husband and or both sons have been flying helicopters, and at, at what point is you know? How, how can we stay blessed and so lucky, you know? And then those thoughts go through my mind, and then I push it aside, and again, and then yeah. and it's like it starts to ease back into the recesses of my mind, and I think, okay, all is good, we're going to be fine, but boy, it's it's hard to live live that through our sons and, and our daughter-in-laws. You know, they live this life now, um, and... But, you know, it's like momentary. For me, I tend to be optimistic and a positive person. And then I think, you know what? My husband always loved what he was doing. Our sons, this is what they chose to do. They want to do it. So I try to just think, you know, maybe we are really blessed and we're always going to be blessed. You know, think positive. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And how does it, how do, do the, um, and I don't know if you know, how do the Apaches crash? Like, are they just up together and they don't see yeah. each other? Like, how does yeah. that happen? Do you know? It's, it's always something. Um, when it's a midair collision, it's it's usually, it, it happens in a split second. You know, these, these helicopters, these big, huge machines that are flying in formation. And, and if one just, for one second, veers off, it it just happens, you know. Um, sometimes it's mechanical. Sometimes it's just a horrible mistake that's made. Um, it's always something different. Um, but yeah, it's there's been a lot of that lately. There was another one recently, a couple nights ago. Again, Apaches, and it just gives you, you know, it's just unsettling to realize yeah. wake up call again for me and my entire family that this is. You know, we still have people, you know, our sons are flying. So, and when you, 
when someone goes into the military, I mean, someone, obviously you married in, but um, like, do you really get what the risk is? I mean, maybe you know it, but do you really get it until something happens? No, I don't. You know, I, I, because, you know, it's human nature. Um, if Dick and I, when we got married, if I had known everything that was ahead of us, the number of friends that we would lose in accidents, and actually Dick and I lost more friends in crashes than we ever did in a combat situation. Really? Yes, yes. It was just back in the 80s. It was a constant. Every unit we were in, there would be one or two crashes. People die. When when helicopters crash, it's really, you know, it's rare that people survive. Um, but, you know, so you go into it. I remember when he went to flight school, and I wrote about that, how nobody ever told us what it was really going to be like. It was like, oh, wow, this is so neat. You know, Dick said, all I ever wanted to do is fly helicopters. So we go off to flight school, and, you know, he gets through the nine months, gets his wings, and we're so excited. And then right away, somebody, I think, crashed or something happened. And it was kind of like, on some level, I had to have known that it was a dangerous way to live. But the other part of me always just thought, no, he's going off to work today and, you know, say goodbye. And he's going to go fly his helicopter. And then, you know, you you compartmentalize it because otherwise you drive yourself crazy. And the same thing when, when... he, when he, Dick would deploy or when the boys are deployed, initially it's like, oh my gosh, how am I going to get through this? I'm I'm scared. I'm nervous. And then before you know it, you're getting through the days. And yeah. again, for me, and this is the advice I, I try to give wives or parents, you know, anybody that's got a loved one in the military, you know, it's like you have to learn to live your life. You can't let it stop you in your tracks and just say, he's going to be gone for nine months. I can't survive for nine months. Right. Um, I remember having a mother contact me after she had read my my guide for parents and her son was deployed. And she told me that she cried every single day of the 12 months that he was gone, living in constant fear. She said I she couldn't function. She couldn't do anything. She just waited by the phone and I I just gently said to her but but how sad you need to live your life you can't assume something horrible because your son did come home she was lucky came home but you can't live your life thinking that the worst is going to happen right now today to me you've got to get into life live it do the best you can stay busy I choose to write that that's what gets me through a lot of things um, and and live your best life and do what you can, because at the end of the day, Hillary, it, it's not we can't script it. We don't get to decide when or if it happens. It's either God or whoever it is you you pray to. I just put it in God's hands and say, you know what, I, I have to to go along with whatever you choose for me and my family. Um, but I'm gonna, in the meantime, I'm going to raise these kids. When Dick was gone, I was determined to raise the the boys and, and have a good life with them, even when he was gone. Um, and and the same with, with the kids. I, I can't stop living because I'm scared that something might happen. 
Right. And that's true in any way of life, right? I mean, that's yeah. you how what your whole mission is about getting real, you know? And yeah, well, I think for me, it's like I I would pretend I was fine and that didn't work. So that's what the getting real is. Hey, I can be scared. I cannot want to do something, say it, and then go like you. Like that seemed like you would say that. And then now, all right, now I yeah. now I can do it. You know what? I don't want to. Fine. I'm allowing that, and now I can do it. Right. And I would just file it away in the back of my mind, like you know, I had to do so many times, and then just not open that box or right. not open that door until I had to. And luckily, right. I didn't have to most of the time. You know. Now, what about? Um, well, we got one minute left, but I, oh, wow. I just remembered that you also learned to fly. Yes. And you would go cross country by yourself, like, my yeah. God, how? Yeah. Was yeah, was that was, thrilling? Was that scary? Like that was scary, but that you did that. Yeah, yeah. I I I wanted to get into my husband's world. He loved flying. We had bought a small plane, and I knew that I needed to be able to help him. You know, if he ever needed me. And um, so I decided to get my pilot's license, and and I learned a lot about myself that year as well. That I did have courage, and and I always thought I was a subpar student or just average student, not very mechanical. But you know what? You put your mind to it and you study and you do what they ask you to do. Next thing I know, I mean, I, I got my license. Yeah. And do you still fly at all? No, I'm I'm mostly his co-pilot uh, now. I, I didn't stay current. You know, it was hard to keep up with it over the years. And, and so, yeah, I don't fly single pilot at all. Um, yeah, I'm his co-pilot. Well, you guys still fly. Like if you have to go see your family, do you just take your plane? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes, you know, we're we're not getting younger, so it's kind of like more for, <laughs> for leisure and for fun and, you know, because it's, you know. But yeah, we've done a lot of great adventures with the plane. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that was one thing. I know, and I, I, re I realized we do have a few extra minutes because we started late. When you were going, when you're, uh, the one scene um, when Dick's first day in the Pentagon and Clint was, was he leaving or coming back? I forget. Yes. And he said to these, I'm assuming bureaucrats, mm -hmm. I'm leaving. You know, you guys do this. I was like, wow, that is so cool that he just said, I'm I'm going, you know, on right. the first day. That, that, I was very proud of my husband in that moment yeah. because I, I, for years, always thought he just put the job and the career ahead of the kids and I. But this was during Dick Cody's, you know, awakening period when our sons were the ones deployed and Clint was finally coming home after six months of combat in Afghanistan. This, this was the early days before the, the war in Iraq. And, and we had been waiting and waiting to get that call. And it was my husband's first day at the Pentagon. He was a three-star general. And he just went around the room and delegated every meeting and everything. And he said, I'm leaving. My kid's coming home from combat today and I'm not going to miss it. I was so proud of him. <laughs> yeah. And what I was wondering, because we were talking about the plane, was why didn't you fly your own plane? Oh, so like you that was out of Baltimore. Yeah, because that was like middle of the day. We get the call. It's like noon and we're going. So just, yeah. Okay. So, no. And, and that wouldn't be the time to hop in the plane when you're stress excited yeah yeah okay yeah. okay okay right yeah, i was just wondering that would be no it was easier to hop at southwest you could get on that with a moment's notice 
Yeah. Okay. All right. Got it. All right. The question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's so nice to be able to talk to the author and ask them the questions that you had in the book. You know, it's like so cool. So anyway, well, I just, um, I just really appreciate, you know, who you are, what you've done, your books, what you've done for the military, the example that both of you have said, your kids, you know, what you, you, uh, yeah, your sacrifice, um, and all that. And, and I'm glad that, you know, you are blessed and continue, will you continue to be blessed? And is there anything, you know, any message that you want to leave? you know, the military, the non-military with, I know you have a mission and I want to make sure that people are clear about what it is. Well, I, I, I appreciate you having me on your show and the fact that you do see the sacrifices and um, what it takes for, for mili- military families to survive. And, and, you know, I guess that's what I would leave the audience with um, that, you know, when you see a service member, someone in uniform, Thank them and thank them for the service. But also if there's a family there, thank the family too, because I think so often the spouse, the parents, um, the kids, the kids of soldiers, when I think what what they all sacrifice as well, um, thank that whole family because it takes a whole family to support a soldier and what they have to do. And, you know, if if my books can shine the spotlight on that part of military life, then then that's what it is I, I set out to do. Um, just to to like bring some awareness and and in a way that I, I'm not preaching, I'm not, you know, in any way. I just feel like by sharing our stories, my stories, um, it just, you know, is is a way for people to relate to when they see someone in uniform and maybe they think twice about, wow, you know, what has he or she just been through? Um, so, you know, that's, that's my whole purpose, to keep shouting the praises of, of the brave men and women that raise their right hand every day and enlist in our military and the families that stand beside them. Wow. Well, thank you. I could just, like, thank you so much. But <laughs> I just really appreciate you and what you've done and your time today. Well, it's been my pleasure. All of it, really. Thank you.